Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, who today decided to record on a toaster. And so what you will find is Nick recorded this episode on toaster for the first half, and so I'm talking for most of the first half, and then he fixes his internet, and for the second half, Nick is back in action. And all the while, we're interviewing an amazing guest in Jeremy Donovan, a two-time now 30MPC champ over at Insight Partners. Nick, why should people listen? Well, the great thing about a toaster, Armand, is it makes things super, super crispy. You know, a nice little bagel, a piece of toast, maybe even an English muffin. And this was a crispy episode where we talked about not necessarily digging for pain or making a conversation about, oh, you're struggling with this, we help with Y, Z, and B. Those are some weird letters. But what we talked about today was around sales process. How do you have a open and honest conversation with the buyer about how to actually get a deal done? And that is where a lot of salespeople screw things up, is the buyer understands the value of the thing that you sell, but you and the buyer don't understand how to actually get this thing across the finish line. So if you want to learn how to make it to the finish line fueled by a crispy toasted bagel, you may want to give this one a listen. Three. Two, one. Sorry, my internet lagged. (laughs) (laughs) Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up.
apply because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. All right, Jeremy, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. The first one has to do with using closed plans. They have lots of names, closed plans, sometimes mutual closed plans or success plans, mutual success plans. So, I mean, to unpack that a little bit, right, if you haven't been doing it, I remember the first time somebody used one of these, quote unquote, on me. And it it basically is to lay out the four, five, six, maybe in a, in a more simple sale, it could be more complex in an enterprise sale, but what are the things that need to happen in order for a deal to get done? And the buyer may not even necessarily know those things, but you as a seller have done you know deals that worked, done deals that don't. I would reflect on the deals where, where you closed and figure out what needed to happen roughly when. So this is very much a, you know, a project planning or project management exercise. I don't think reps need to become PMP certified project managers, but what does a project plan look like? It looks like a to-do, right? An item, a bit of a description, an owner, and a timeline. And those owners could be you, could be other people within your company that you need to rely on. It could be the, and and the best owners are often the, the prospect, right? Is that this is a buyer-centric sales process. What are the things that they need to do in order for deals to be successful? Number two is, and I guess we'll unpack some of those a little bit more, but number two is another, I'll call it a tactic, I guess, that was used on me is I was once involved in the decision to purchase an incentive compensation management system. And at the time, there were two major vendors there, and this is not uncommon, I'm sure, for, for sellers. You probably have a very direct competitor, if, if not more than one. And this rep on the very first call on the disco said the following words, we are not the cheapest solution. That was a killer line that I have advised reps to use. And at least at the, the very high level, it's a bit of psychological judo, right? Is, is as a prospect, you don't, or as a human being, like you don't want to be viewed as cheap. So if, if the rep says that to you, it primes you in a lot of ways, but it also primes you to not come off as, as a cheapskate. Third tip is one of the things that we provide is a medic scorecard or whatever their qualification framework of choice is. I just happen to really like medic. And one of the folks, and it, it assigns basically, you know, zero, one or two points to each one of the categories across, across each of the medic components. And they asked, well, what's a good score? And my answer was a good score is a perfect score. And they said, well, what do you mean? And what I mean is take any one of those components. If you have everything, but you have not engaged deeply the economic buyer, odds are you're going to lose the deal. If you have everything, but you're not minding the competition and that the prospect has not said to you, we confirmed that you are the vendor of choice, you're very likely to lose the deal. I've talked to a lot of reps 
watched a lot of deals won and lost. And when they lose, it's they they took their eye off the ball on one or more of the components. All righty, Jeremy. So for everyone newer in the audience, a close plan is a series of steps that are required to get a deal done. All right. Now those close plans can be internal close plans where it's just an internal plan, or it could be an external close plan, aka a mutual action plan or a joint execution plan. But either way, you should really have one, whether internal and probably external too. And so Jeremy, I actually want to start with the external portion. When in a sales cycle would I typically draft up some sort of customer-facing close plan and share it with them? I'm going to do it relatively early. So if you think about traditional steps of the sales process, no, you're not going to do that during discovery. No, you're not going to do that during demo. I think after you get out of that that mode and you know you, you now have maybe multi-threaded your deal a bit, especially when you have the champion identified, right? So I think very tactically, if you're doing an external or mutual one, I think that's the, the person you're really going to engage in that with is your champion. And it's mutual because you're building it together. And you're going to say, hey, based on the deals I've done before, I know that we need to go through security review right at this phase. So that you're contributing as the rep. But there's the flip side, right, which is since it's mutual, you're also asking them, hey, have you bought something like what we sell before? And sometimes the, hopefully the answer is yes, but I, you know, a lot of times it's not. And then there's a process of like, huh, okay, you're actually going to put something back on the buyer to say, how can you help as the champion, right? Figure out what are the steps. But coming back to your original question, I, I think it's you want to do it as early as possible, but I would wait until you, you certainly have a qualified deal and a champion identified. So Jeremy, one of the things that I see is oftentimes a mistake with sellers is they'll start their mutual action plan or their closed plan when it's way too late in the deal. It'll basically be after we've agreed upon commercials and we've already gotten to power, here's how vendor review can go on time. And don't get me wrong, that's probably where a closed plan is in fact most effective, is keeping track of all of the micro steps of security and legal. But to your point, the moment that I have done a discovery call and identified a clear problem with my champion, and I've done a deep dive with them, Typically, they're on my side and they're ready to start showing us to other people. The moment I'm no longer single threaded in a deal cycle is personally when I pull up my close plan. And what you can do at that point is you can literally be like in every single deal cycle, we need to get in front of the CFO or the VP of people, what have you. And you can put the names of those people inside of your close plan. So at the beginning of your sales cycle, you plant the seed that you need to multi-thread. So this should truly be a close to full sales cycle tool. You're too late if you're, you know, if you're already at that stage. It's also, you're making me think it's also a way to test your champion, right? So how, how do you tell the difference between a champion and a coach, right? And to me, the classic test is that they're gonna introduce you to the economic buyer but it's also just that they're willing to multi-thread you at all, right? If, if that person's not willing to multi-thread you, they're not a champion. And when you kind of pull out this mutual action plan, and if they react like, uh, I don't want to spend the time, whatever, on this, you know that they're not a serious buyer as well. So one thing that you mentioned here that I think is critical, especially in enterprise sales, you need to know if you're working with a sophisticated champion slash buyer 
or not. Because these sales cycles are long. They're three to six months. And you might work with the wrong champion for three months, and then your deal is still in the exact same place. So one example of that that you mentioned is they won't introduce you to power. Another example of that is they see a mutual action plan and it's clear they're see- they're seeing it for the first time. It's like this, this foreign apparatus that they've never seen in their life before. Are there other things that I can do or questions that I can ask a champion to suss out if they've bought software in the past? I'll often ask them directly, you know, have you, and now you got to ask it in a way that you're not lessening them and their power and authority, but like, have you and your team recently bought? So, so by adding the and your team and then the recently, you're giving them a little bit of an out, right? Because now it's broadened to the team. It's also the recency thing. So I think you could just ask them directly, like, have you and your team recently bought a solution like this? Or I know you could soften it. I know that procurement processes change frequently. Are you well-versed on your current procurement process? So you're giving them that out that it may have changed, even though it may not have changed. I think those types of things are fine to suss out whether or not they, they're they a sophisticated buyer or not. I mean, frankly, buyers don't buy that often, right? Depends on who they are, but they don't, many of the times they don't buy that often. So they, they really do need your help to figure out what things are needed to get the deal done. But they also do need to go back and do some homework on their own to figure out how their companies buy. This individual doesn't necessarily have to like have final signature authority. And, you, and you, so that's a question I would not ask is like, are you going to be the one who signs the deal? I hold off on who signs the deal for quite some time. And so what you're describing is, I know you're a big fan of Medic, and we talked about it in the prep call as well, and also in your actionable takeaways, is you should probably eventually know who's going to need to make a call and a decision, and that's one of the Ds, but you need to map the decision process. But once you start asking inflammatory questions early in the process, like who's going to sign this thing, yada, 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 it actually really turns up this level of defensiveness with your buyer. But I want to go back to the first thing that you talked about, Jeremy, which is super important, is the easiest way to tell if your champion has bought software before is just to come in with a curious tone and ask them, have you bought software before? And you will get a variety of different answers. And if you can, you can ask it in seven different ways, but you can say, when you've bought X tool in the past, who are the people who have been involved? What are the steps that happen? When legal got back for the first time, how long did it take, right? And if they're like, oh, legal is going to take three days, I'm thinking, oh God, you have no idea how a legal process actually runs. And so there are three or four parts of your sales cycle that you know need to happen and you know how long they typically take. Ask them about those steps. Think of those as your metal detectors in your sales process. And if you get a bleep that goes in the wrong direction, you know you probably have to coach this person on how to purchase software. I actually have a question for you guys about that. So let's say you are having that conversation about how long does legal typically take for you guys? And they say, oh, it's super easy. It'll take us 48 hours, no problem. And you know that that is not the case. I guess question for both of you guys, how do you artfully call them that out and be like, that isn't what I've seen before? For me personally, like I don't want to put the prospect on their back heels. I'm trying to assess how how serious of a buyer that is. That might signal to me that I need to multi-thread the deal. Uh, as we talked about briefly before, they may be a coach and not a champion, which is fine. Or I just know, hey, they haven't been through this before. I'm going to need to, but I, I should not be so naive as to budget in the project plan, you know, three days. I should probably be budgeting 
two, three, four weeks, right, to go through it. And you could just say, hey, like, that's awesome. If you guys are able to speed through legal in two to three days, that's killer. I'm just going to add, I'm just going to put a buffer, right? That's not going to put them on their back foot. I'm just going to put a buffer in here just in case it takes longer. The way that I think about this question is a lot of people will ask too generic of a question that might be, when can you get this done? And someone might say, end of this month. And you're thinking, oh, awesome, right? And the same thing goes for legal, Nick, to your point. Someone might, I might ask someone, hey, when can you get legal done? And they might say, it'll take about two weeks. All you need to do to really get this person to think through that and show them that you've done this before is break that down into micro steps. And so the process to close is comprised of getting to power, legal, security, procurement, et cetera, et cetera, right? The process to get legal done has two or three sub-processes back. And so our favorite thing to do internally is we call it a red line deadline, all right? And so what we'll do is we'll put people on what's called a red line deadline. And you can ask a simple question that sounds like, awesome, legal only takes five days. That's way faster than I've seen. Usually it takes five days to get first cuts back. So does that mean if we get a paper in your hand today, in two days, we'll get first cuts of our 10-page MSA? Looking good? And then usually they'll be like, ah, no, that's usually when they get first cuts back. Then we can say, awesome. That means we should probably really stretch this thing out for two weeks. But we shouldn't just say like, hey, we hope this is going to be done in two weeks. Can we commit to first cuts, aka red line deadline? in four days. And that's how you really unpack if someone understands the legal process or not. Yeah, agreed. I also wanted to address something around like mutual success plan complexity. And we, and we started out with the external side, but I always try to err to the minimum viable complexity in things. So I've seen mutual plans in lots of forms. I've seen it as a single slide in a presentation. Perfect. Like in some buying context, that's all you ever need. And then that gets updated every time. And that's another thing about the closed plans is make sure that even if it's quote unquote mutual, don't expect that your prospect is ever going to look at it or do anything about it. You need to bring it back in front of their face basically every single time you meet and just say, hey, we're, we're here along this path. And it's in their interest also, right? Because the buyer is buying this because they have a, they have a need and hopefully you've identified you know, that need and developed whatever the pain around that, you know, a compelling event and so on. So you need to figure out that piece of it. So you can keep it as, as low complexity as possible. A slide is fine. Spreadsheet, fine. There are tools now out there that help you manage this. And some of the tools are, are sort of standard project management tools like a Trello or a Monday or a whatever. Some of them are purpose-built, right? Recapped, Accord. Clary bought one, I think, Deal. I think it was called Deal Point. So they're, they're out there. But I wouldn't know, it's not about the tool, right? It's about the close plan. The other piece was the internal external thing, which is, again, I would not expect the prospect to open it, to look at it, to modify it. To I wouldn't assign them tasks and actions, even if it's in the plan that they are going to do those things. I wouldn't be like sending them reminders. These are all conversational, conversational things to go through. And then last is, I think the external stuff is the, you know, if you think of an iceberg, the external stuff is the stuff above the water, right? Back on the back end, there's a whole lot of internal orchestration and tasks that may need to get completed. And again, it just depends on the deal. I mean, smaller, faster deals, there may not be a lot of that. I do from experience directly at SalesLoft, when we were working, you know, like a million dollar deal, the project, the internal part of the project plan was, was significant, 
right? So, and orchestrating all the different people that needed to engage across implementation and professional services, sales engineering, value engineering, like all these things, that orchestration requires requires methodical project management. And I think that's, as sellers are looking to progress in their careers, like I get asked this question all the time is like, what do I see as the biggest difference between like an SMB salesperson and an enterprise salesperson? There are many, it's probably a whole topic of another podcast, but one of the big ones is this, it's like this ability to project manage sophisticated opportunities. Jeremy, to that point, part of being a great project manager is holding other people accountable. And what's really unique about a sophisticated like enterprise sale is the people that you are holding accountable aren't people that report directly to you. They might be a customer, like a CXO that you're trying to sell to. And those people are doing 837 different things in any given day. And so sometimes they're going to slip and they're not going to take action on the things that you need them to do in this mutual action plan by the deadline they're supposed to. And so my question is, how do we artfully hold those people accountable? Because I can't be a jerk to Armand and be like, what the hell, dude? Like, you know, you you didn't pull in security in time. This is ridiculous. Like, I'm going to upset him if I do that. But I do need to hold him accountable, right? Yeah. Again, my favorite accountability measure is just is the check-in, right? Is you're setting up recurring times on the calendar. Maybe that's every week or whatever it happens to be. And I'm not going to just drop you an email saying, where's the security review, right? It's, it's, I'm going to, we're going to discuss this because it's a, it's a partnership to get this deal done. Buyers are buying as much as sellers are selling. So it's a partnership to get it done. So that's why I think showing the flashing the, the close plan on the screen each time you talk and, and walking through that is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. I also think buyers deeply respect that. A lot of times products are so similar across two different cup, right? Two different, the, the, the two final vendors who are in consideration, they're so similar. And what distinguishes is, like, is the buying process. And the fact that the seller is so much more buttoned up implies that once the deal gets done, I'm going to get the same buttoned up treatment after the fact, which bodes well for my, you know, this ultimate decision making. Well, Jeremy, when you're talking about that regular check-in, that is so, so powerful. I think about some of like the bigger like ERP deals that I've closed in my career. And I distinctly remember one where I had this buyer who had never bought this thing before. And every time we met, she was frantic. And she was like asking me questions that I had already answered months ago. And like, I could tell that this person was very uncertain and nervous and anxious about this sale. So what I proposed to her was I said, hey, like, there's a lot on your punch list that you're evaluating here. And we might not end up being the right person, but other folks have found it helpful to have a standing meeting where once a week we get together for 25 minutes and we rip through the punch list and you tell me what's on your mind and I'll document everything. And what I did was I started this doc where I literally put, you had a question about our billing module. Here was the answer. And by the end We'd had like 14 meetings, but all of her questions got answered. And this was a super competitive deal. I just made it easiest to organize all of the information. The same folks who wrote Challenger, right? They wrote the Challenger Excel. They wrote the Challenger Customer, both great books. They also wrote another book called The Effortless Experience. And I think that's one of the things that they found was not surprisingly, people are kind of lazy. And the seller who makes the process the least effortful is the one who's going to win, right? So even with these mutual plans, the point is not to dump a bunch of stuff on the prospect. Yes, you do need them to commit and engage and do things, 
but you have to keep asking yourself with each one of these items, how can I make this easier for them? Like, hey, you need to go through security review. If you want, just hook me directly up with your whatever chief risk and compliance team, and I can take care of that for you, right? It's, it's just, and it's not just about multi-threading. It really is about taking taking the burden off of them and doing them a solid, right? To make it more of an effortless experience. Well, to take that even one step further in that situation is you're hooking up with security. You might also say, and hey, here's the 15 questions that folks typically ask in these meetings. Here's the FAQ for you. They're already answered. Your folks will probably have some other ones, but I'll save you some of the work. What you also do there is you're setting the board so that you're framing the conversation in the area that you are strongest. Here's what folks typically want to know, and it's stacked in your favor. Yeah, one concept that we've talked about in the past is you have people at, above, and below the line, right? And I I personally find that the best champions are right at the line. And the reason for that is that they're at that level of altitude, maybe a director at smaller companies, maybe a VP at other companies. They're at that level where they know how to buy software and they're high enough that they can stay out of the weeds, but they're low enough where they actually know how to get a deal done and they know the things are that are required to actually get your software up and running. So it's critical to have a champion at the line. And then the key question is, what do you do there with the other two folks? And I've found that a really well-balanced trifecta is your champion is the person who you're marching through the mutual action plan with. But then there's oftentimes a below-the-line project manager that's actually going to do the implementation. And it's healthy at times to have them there when going through the mutual action plan, just so you have another thread. And then up top, the final piece of your triangle is you should be keeping that person at power in the loop on the key progression points in your mutual action plan. So that way you have three anchor points in a deal and you're keeping all of them informed. Beautiful. Well, Jeremy, we're running out of time here. And so we got to move ourselves to the final question. You've been on the show before, so you know the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople should be doing. Now let's flip it on its head and talk about the inverse. So my last question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about like mid-late funnel today. I guess I'll go to top of funnel, which is it comes out, it's a LinkedIn invite, right? Which is I get so many invites where they say something like, you know, I looked at your profile and I was really impressed or I was researching your company and, you know, you guys are awesome or whatever. Just so generic that you know that they didn't do any research when I'm in my snarkiest moods these days, I'll reply back like, what was it that intrigued you about my profile? Nine times out of 10 that no one responds back at all. So you know it was just BS to begin with. So I, I think my my tip here is, is at the top of the funnel when you're reaching out on LinkedIn, just don't get rid of all that garbage. You know, I would say one of two things, something super authentic. And if you have the time and you're doing more of an enterprise prospecting, right? Where you, where the time is worth it, then do the like personalization. Only a sentence, right? Super short. If you're doing more mass prospecting, just send a blank. Just use the default connect. Don't get clever. You know, nine times out of 10, if I'm sending a connection request, I just, I don't actually put anything in there if I'm, you know, unless I'm trying to get to power of some kind. A hundred percent true. The only connection requests I decline are the ones where I get a crappy message like that. Send me a blank one and then pitch me later if you really want to do that garbage. 
Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Everybody, stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jeremy Donovan include number one, when you are setting up a close plan, map out your sales cycle, the key steps that need to happen to get any deal done. And that includes things like getting access to power, security, legal, what have you, and share it in every single call. And that's number two, is don't just review your mutual action plan one time. Do not just send it over email, review this thing live and get constant consensus on the call. Number three, there are a couple of ways you can test your champion on if they've bought software in the past. You can ask them if they've bought software in the past, or you can ask for more granular details to see if they really know how a legal process is run. And then last piece, number four, just because I have a personal affinity towards it, don't throw a bunch of junk in your LinkedIn invitations, folks. It is very obvious when you're saying you had an interesting background, or it looks like we are in a similar space and I would like to connect. Just send a blank connection request. Don't use fake tailoring. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Well, just like I like sharing good internet connection and good crispy bagels with my friends, I also like sharing great podcast episodes with my friends. And this is one that you may want to consider sharing with your team because in order to really have an effective mutual action plan or close plan process, this is an area you probably want to collaborate with your sales colleagues and maybe even leadership around systematizing into your business. So my ask for you audience is if you got even a semblance of value from this episode, maybe share it and say, this was a very interesting episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. 